0: Welcome and thank you for joining Speak Up for Safer Care. Speak Up for Safer Care is a product of Safer Care Texas, the patient safety division at the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth, Texas, where it is our mission to challenge traditional thinking to eliminate preventable harm. Speak Up for Safer Care illuminates gaps in care, process, or design that lead to preventable harm in all healthcare settings. I'm your host, John Sims, the director of Safer Care Texas, and our co-host Leanne Cunningham was not able to make it today. So our, our newest clinical executive, Bobby Bratton, a nurse practitioner, has graciously uh, sitting in uh, to co-host with us today. So thank you, Bobby, for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. This is going to be great. So um, our guest today is Dr. Teresa Wagner, and this is our episode four, which is Health Literacy Defined. Dr. Wagner is a registered and licensed dietitian with a doctorate in public health. She's certified in public health, patient safety, lifestyle medicine, health coaching, and a certified community health worker instructor. Dr. Wagner has delivered multiple programs, speaking engagements, and trainings on health literacy issues. She's testified on health literacy legislation in Texas, helping to place health literacy into the state health plan. At the same time, her research focuses on alleviating health disparities in underserved communities through health literacy to improve population health. She's received both the 2018 Texas Health Literacy Hero Award as well as the 2020 Distinguished Alumni Award from Texas Christian University. Currently, she serves as the clinical executive for health literacy for Safer Care Texas and as an assistant professor in lifestyle health sciences, both at the University of North Texas Health Science Center. Wow, Dr. Wagner, (laughs) you have got a a huge resume of accomplishments there. So it is an honor to have you here to talk about health literacy.
2: Thank you, John.
0: Did I miss anything in your background that you'd like to add?
2: No, I think you covered everything.
0: Okay, great. Well, let's jump in here and let's just tell us what health literacy is. So we always hear that term. Um, as healthcare professionals and maybe even lay people hear the term, but what does it really mean?
2: Interestingly, John, historically, health literacy was defined as the degree to which individuals have the capacity to obtain, process, and understand basic health information and services needed to make appropriate health decisions. Well, the problem with that definition was the fact that it put all of the responsibility on the person. But as a health literacy expert and working with health literacy experts across the country, we know that the system has become very complex. So even if you have good education and good health literacy skills, it's very difficult to navigate the system.
0: Amen.
2: <laughs> so we advocated when Healthy People 2030 was being written to have that definition expanded and we're super excited that that occurred. So now the definition includes not only personal health literacy, which I mentioned before, but also organizational health literacy, which is the degree to which organizations, meaning healthcare organizations, also have a responsibility to enable individuals to find, understand, and use information and services to inform health related decisions and actions for themselves and others, because many of us care for other people's health decisions, such as children or elderly parents. So the great news is that this new definition not only acknowledges that organizations have a responsibility to address health literacy, but also incorporates a public health perspective where we know that health literacy needs to be more widespread mm. in terms of helping mm-hmm. people understand health information so that we can have a healthy population.
0: I think that's great and I appreciate that thorough definition. Um, it does. It includes it includes everybody and I like how you pointed out that uh, previously it focused on the individual and you know, I, I'm not as educated as my team, but I'm, I consider myself an educated man, and I, I attest it is a challenge to navigate the healthcare system right now. There's so many moving parts; it's just it's very difficult. Yeah, very complex. Yeah.
2: Well, and even with a high level of education, or let's say you had a successful career in business, you know, when you're um, diagnosed with a catastrophic illness, mm. you're in shock. And the first thing we want to do as healthcare providers is educate. (laughs) So we're trying to educate someone who is not in a state to be receptive to education at that point. And so we need to take a step back and ensure that people understand the information they need to make those decisions.
0: Great point. We're humans after all. Right. And we respond to stuff like that like a human would. So uh, good
1: point. So, Teresa – how does poor health literacy in verbal and written instructions impact patient safety?
2: Well, what we know is Bobby is that in peer-reviewed research, you know, we've actually looked at these issues and what the outcomes were. And in low with low health literacy, it's been found that outcomes can occur such as reduced ability to understand labels and health messages, so meaning that you might not take your medication right, or if you're trying to focus on your nutrition, you might not understand a nutrition label and how to avoid cholesterol or sodium and things like that. More hospitalizations, worse overall health status, high mortality among the elderly, and all of those occur because when people don't understand how to navigate health care or take care of their own health... They're going to wait until they're really, really sick Mm -hmm. to seek care rather than using preventative care, which would be what we would want, you know, get those health screenings that we need to get every year and to tend to our health and well-being on a regular basis, eating a nutritious diet, exercising, um, stress reduction, all of those facets that make up a healthy life. Um, We also see worse physical and mental health uh, because people aren't taking care of those issues. Um, You know, I work in lifestyle health sciences and and we aspire to lifestyle medicine. So not only the things that I listed already, but also social connectedness and um, taking care of your stress management and making sure you have those relationships that help us get through life and and give us the support that we need to stay physically and mentally well. And then also greater use of emergency departments not only because when it's difficult to navigate healthcare, you wait until you're so sick you have to go to the emergency department, but also if you don't know how or you don't have insurance, that's where you're going to go just for your basic uh, healthcare needs. And we really need to reduce that because it's costing our country millions of dollars. So when you look at the bigger picture, improving health literacy actually can improve our health care spending.
0: Uh, couldn't agree more. Our, uh, our, our guest last week um, was Dr. Wessling, a pharmacist. And we and I was I was telling her about some of the data that I had looked at as far as the state of Texas. And one of the ones there there's several, but the one that stuck out to me was people avoiding care due to cost. Texas is number 50th in the nation. Wow. yeah. and so with that in mind and and it's obvious that we have opportunities, right, to improve this. the I mean, from a financial perspective, from an outcomes perspective, and from a from a whole health perspective, we have an opportunity to improve all this, right? Right. So, what? What? Uh, how can we? How can we do that? It's very complex, right? The, the healthcare system is very complex. Uh, from a lifestyle and a safer care, um, perspective, how can we um, encourage patients to, or patients, people, just people, uh, to be mentally well, physically well?
2: Right. It's. It's a a huge paradigm to get over because, um, you know, we can teach people and they can have knowledge about um, what it takes to maintain health and wellness. But until they're empowered to actually do that, so our... You know, if you think about the social determinants of health, do they live in an area where they're in a food desert? Do they have access to health care? Do they have transportation to get to health care? You know, all of those things. So there's so many barriers. But then on the healthcare care side of the fence, there's also the barrier of it's not required for mm-hmm. Health care to be health literate. And so that's where I've dedicated 10 years of my life Uh is really advocating on both sides, trying to help empower people. As you know, we currently in Safer Care Texas have the program where we're going to communities where there's no community health workers or access Uh to health care at all, and trying to build capacity in those communities by educating community. Community members to become community health workers. So, you know, working on that side, helping to empower people and communities, but also on the healthcare side, where, you know, you said, how can we um, get healthcare to the point where it's contributing as well? So, encouraging providers to use health literacy techniques such as Teach Back and um, making sure that they listen to patients and and rather than you know just getting them in and out and I know that a lot of that's systemic so mm-hmm. how do we address those systemic issues as well which is why we developed our partnership with the DFW Hospital Council where mm-hmm. we have a health literacy collaborative and members from the hospitals in the DFW Metroplex get together and talk about the health literacy issues.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, all, all those are, are great points, and I appreciate you sharing them. Um, I, was, I was thinking about uh, – as you were talking, I was thinking about the communities that we're working with or trying to work with uh, in rural areas and, and trying to focus on the libraries because those tend to be where community members um, – it's a common place where they congregate. So it's a great cult, – it cultivates a great um, opportunity for education.
2: It right. does. And I think libraries are really coming to the forefront, after, you know, in the aftermath of COVID-19 as being those hubs for information, especially health literate information, because librarians understand that they have to be population friendly in order for people to be able to read and to be able to access resources within their libraries. And I feel fortunate that I've been asked to write a chapter in a book um, Hmm. that's entitled Cultural Humility in Libraries. And I'm writing the chapter on how health literacy bridges the gap. Hmm. So, yeah, so. I see libraries coming to the forefront and I know and I've written in my chapter about the national networks of library of medicine Mm -hmm. and how their health literacy grants on an annual basis have really lit that fire. To empower communities to use libraries and for libraries to reach out to communities. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I, I know with with your with your help and your expertise, and then Safer Care Texas, we we are going to push through um, to communicate and collaborate with these libraries because, as you mentioned, I mean, there's just a great opportunity there. Um, now, one of the things uh, when I was introducing you um, was. Your experience with the legislature, um, can you tell us what what specifically – because we did. We talked ab- about, um, you know, organizations aren't – and I don't want to misquote you, but aren't forced to to do anything with health literacy, right? So they don't really have to – put their educational aftercare instructions or or just basic disease instructions. They don't have to put that in health literate terms.
2: Yeah, and I don't know that it's, you know, a choice on their part. It's that they're managing so many priorities because I know, you know, when I was doing my doctoral research that the ICD-10 codes came out and so Mm -hmm. they canceled my training because it was more important to learn the ICD-10 codes, which, you know, I have to agree, but, um, you know, but then after you learn those, you need to come back around to health literacy. So it has been a challenge legislatively to put forth, um, some guidelines within the state of Texas. And, um, you know, again, because the state has so many things to juggle, but also um, when we have put forth the legislative, you know, the bills, they basically want to form a committee to look at the problem of health literacy in Texas before, you know, we move to the next step, which is putting forth some rules. And, you know, for those of us who, who now, me, have been working in, for 10 years and some of my colleagues more than that, we know there's a problem with health literacy in Texas. So we'd really rather see some rules put forth, you know, with legislation more promptly. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: And that's what we'll be working towards for this next session.
0: So before we move on, I was um... – I shared this in our first episode with uh, Jessica mock Mockringel, and uh, around when we recorded that episode, I had just returned. Um, uh, well, I I, did, I traveled via an airplane, and I looked in the in the pamphlet there in the back of the chair there about um, just the the safety. You know, all the you got a a cushion, an air cushion under your under your seat. And you've got an oxygen mask that'll fall out of the ceiling, but there were very few words. There was nothing there but pictures and arrows, Correct. and it was very clear. And so, you know, when you think about language and health literacy, do you think how far do you think we are from that in healthcare? From getting to that simplicity? I know it sounds pretty robust, but.
2: Yeah. So it's funny because um, I was just um, giving a presentation right before I came over here and I was talking about where we're at with health literacy. And I said, you know, it just I don't understand why 10 years later we're in the same spot where we were when I went back to school for my doctorate because I've been talking about this for 10 years, and yet I revise documents for different organizations or at least review them if they ask me to, and I said, you know, in my... Slide that I show, it says, you know, most healthcare materials are written at the 10th grade level or above. Well, I said, well, they're really written at above because mm-hmm. um, when I'm reviewing them, they'll be way above college level. And I don't understand how healthcare organizations can't see that the average person wouldn't be able to understand it. My own daughter. Um, one time, had to do a twenty four hour urine collection, and they handed her a piece of paper with no pictures, no bullet points, Aww. you know, just verbiage. So she takes a picture of it, texts it to me, and says, "Translate this for me, please." <laughs> <laughs> oh my! <laughs> and I, you know, I thought to myself, "Not everyone has a mom that exactly. can translate." and we all do need a mom that can translate or so we can right. navigate healthcare better. Well, and it's
1: just interesting, you know, because you're not just talking about taking a document f- to a 10th grade level or a 7th grade level, level or a 2nd grade level, but you're also looking at, you know, you're looking at the reading level, but you're looking at the the language challenges and then circling back I really liked what you said about you know the example of the person who just got diagnosed with cancer really trying to um, factor in the emotional disposition that a person is in at the point where they're trying to learn or or understand what their care is or what they need to do next and it's just multi-level, you know, layers. There's so much to
2: health literacy that people don't really understand or, you know, can't really wrap their heads around. And so it's not all about just making sure that the document that you're revising is at fifth grade level or third grade level. Exactly, taking into account all of these other factors. And to John's point about the pamphlet on the airplane is so what one of the things that I teach is that with health literacy, if you break it down to the most simple components and you use pictures, that it's translatable into many languages. Exactly. And think about that's what the airplane, you know, that they have to consider. And so Mm -hmm. that's why they've hired someone (laughs) to health literize their pamphlet.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We – so suffice to say we have a lot to do um, to improve – Communication, really, yes. in healthcare. I mean, there was uh, I read once um, that a uh, sentinel event for our audience, a sentinel event is, is an event that occurs in a healthcare um, organization or place uh, where uh, somebody dies from an error or there's a, a major disability as a result of a medical error. And the root cause of that 60% of the time is communication.
2: That is the correct statistic, yes. it's. It was shocking to me the first time I ever read that mm-hmm. um, because, you know, who would think? Right. But then when you break it down, you're like, all we have to do is communicate better and people wouldn't be making these mistakes. They wouldn't be delaying their own care. They would, you know, understand what – it's going to cost for them to go, you know, that's one of the biggest health literacy gaps is people not understanding what something costs and then they get these huge bills in the mail and then they never want to go back to healthcare again. Um, so it's, it's all encompassing for sure.
0: Absolutely. Um, there was, there was one other thing that you touched on, um, a little earlier that I wanted to, to, um, to talk through I, and I think it had to do with aftercare instructions. Um, no, well, it had to do with with um, what you were talking about—that providers and and the healthcare workers in general are so um, they're stretched more than they ever have been right now as a result of the pandemic. Um, what are your thoughts on? You know, if somebody we, we talked the example of somebody having a cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. they're overwhelmed and their intelligence level does not matter. They're trying to come to grips with that diagnosis. Right. Right. So what are your thoughts on people being in the best place to retain education that they might be receiving?
2: Right. Well, one of the things we really need to do is to stage their education throughout their hospitalization. So, mm-hmm. You know, and even, you know, that person with that diagnosis, depending on what procedures they are going to have immediately versus they're going to go home and come back for procedures, then you can, you know, stage their education at home, build modules where they can go online and learn Mm -hmm. things on their own time when they're ready to learn those issues. Um, I forgot what your first part of your question was.
0: Well, that—that's that, what I was leading up to. I think I was—I was talking about the about providers being stressed, and oh, yes. what I was alluding to is that they don't have the time to properly educate. And Correct.
2: So, yes. So when I was doing my doctoral um, research. One of the things that I did was I interviewed patients from clinics in Austin. That's, you know, I went down to study at the UT Center for Health Communication and the Literacy Coalition of Central Texas. And um, one of the things that I found when I reported out to the clinics, you know, the chief medical officers, et cetera, and they would say, yeah, we know. (laughs) (laughs) And I would be like, well, why don't we do something about it? And um, one of them said quite frankly to me that who's going to pay for my provider to stay in the room for 10 more minutes to explain it? So I was in shock, but um, after I recovered, I said, well, that's why there's allied health professionals, because if that provider can't stop and explain at that moment in time, you know, you can have another professional come in. You know, we're looking at um, here at UNTHSC and Safer Care Texas using health coaches and community health workers as Mm -hmm. that conduit to health literacy. Um, so having them help explain things in their own homes or later, you know, as a second part of the visit, whatever the case may be. Um, but also registered dietitians and physical therapists and mm. PAs, you know, nurses can do part of that education as well. Um, but again, staging it is probably the number one.
0: Oh, well, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more.
2: Yeah, I think staging... You know, um,
1: is a, is an excellent idea, and with the layers of the different providers, and really trying to pace them out, and having some overlap of the information, of course, but just remembering that they're they're having to soak it up in increments, and even. With me having a clinical education and background, when I go to a doctor's appointment, more often than not, I still take somebody with me. Just mm-hmm. because, if it's about me, it's a whole different it's a mm-hmm. whole different ball game. Yeah, that's so very true. I want extra eyes and ears, you know, to to take advantage of, and um, and that's just um, you know, I was thinking about the libraries and the community health workers and. Thinking about when you're in the clinical setting and how um, emotional that can be if you're getting a negative diagnosis, and then thinking about going into the libraries or having a community health worker or a health coach that could come behind and educate and share and answer questions, and what a that's putting it in a positive environment where right. where they can absorb better. You know, even going right. to the library, it's a, it's a, it's a hopefully a familiar setting and social. But it's definitely yeah. not going to have the negative context that healthcare sometimes can bring. Mm-hmm. Right,
2: and the great thing about you know, if you look at the continuum of care of all the different levels of caregivers. Uh, our care providers is that they can all do kind of a teach back for each other. Mm-hmm. So you can say, "Well, what did the doctor say to you about XYZ? Well, what did the nurse tell you?" you know, and you can kind of ascertain where the patient's at with all this information that they've been getting and you can then, you know, reteach if needed or reinforce if they're right on track. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's probably empowering for them too that they can Right. Talk about it. Right. You know. So, Dr. Wagner, you have such a vast background of education and experience. What inspired you or what is the path that, that led you towards becoming a health literacy expert?
2: (laughs) Well, it was quite serendipitous. So as a registered dietitian, obviously, I met with patients and people and and tried to um, help them to make changes in their lives to be healthier and more well. Um, And, you know, at that point, I had never learned anything about cultural competency or health literacy or, you know, I always tried to elicit from them what their real life was like and and work from that. But I really didn't know the depth to which there were barriers until you go into people's homes, you know, which I did mm-hmm. do later in my career. You really don't understand the full mm-hmm. um, spectrum of what they might be dealing with. So um, so. Another part of my career as a registered dietitian, I was a spokesperson for the National Dairy Council for 10 years. So that brought in the communication piece. So here I had this clinical and then I had this communication. And so when I um, came to UNTHSC for my doctorate in public health and met health literacy, I was like, well, this is, you know, the perfect marriage of my two skill sets. Um, but it was more than that. Once I got to my residency and I was out in the community seeing how much health literacy impacts people um, in their daily lives and how it limits people, it really just, you know, tugged at my heart. And I think everyone has a, a story about, you know, how health literacy has impacted their lives. And, you know, I shared about, Uh, My younger daughter with a a more anecdotal little story, but my older daughter, and I was talking earlier in my lecture about how, you know, when people are in that transitional stage of going from your parents caring for you to being an adult and you haven't built a knowledge base or self-efficacy unless you were trained in K through 12, which is one of my legislative (laughs) (laughs) initiatives, um, then you are in that kind of void of health literacy at that point. And many times, you know, providers kind of have just like um, we have these implicit biases that we don't realize. Well, a lot of the times providers have that towards young people Mm -hmm. and think either Mm -hmm. they don't understand, they can't understand, or that, oh, they're just a kid, you know, or, you know, I'm not really sure. But there's that void in there. And so um, she kept complaining of the same symptom over and over and over. And this went on for two months. And finally, um, a provider decided to do an MRI. And she went and had her MRI left and was about to take a bite of a donut. And they called her and said, you need to get back here immediately. You need an emergency appendectomy. Oh, my. That had been brewing for two months. Yes. So That was my pivotal moment where I said, this is it. You know, this has got to change. Well, good for you.
0: You are definitely a pioneer, I'll say, when (laughs) it comes to health literacy. So even though it's been a decade, please keep
1: pushing forward. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Wagner, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us today. And thank you, audience, for listening. Speak Up for Safer Care is made for the healthcare community by Safer Care Texas, the patient safety division at the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth, Texas. We'd like to thank our technical producer, Rob Upchurch. And remember, you should speak up. Advocate for yourself, your family, and your colleagues. If you are a healthcare worker, a counselor, subject matter expert, former patient or caregiver, and have a patient safety story that you would like to share, being HIPAA compliant, of course, Safer Care Texas wants to hear from you. Be our next guest. Please contact us through our website at safercaretexas.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in next week.
0: Ray Gonzalez.
1: Very good. (laughs) And um, thanks again for listening. And as always, speak up for safer care.